Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, yes, we did take a giant leap forward in Hebrews last week. I focused on one passage right in the center of about three and a half chapters and had to leave out the surrounding bits because I realized that I'm not actually going to be here next Sunday. Jeff Walsh will be preaching, and uh, it was going to take a Sunday out of my plan for preaching through Hebrews, so I had to adjust. So now we are in Hebrews chapter 10. We'll start at verse 19. Um, But before we do, I just want us to start at a place of honesty together. The first couple of verses I'm going to read are very theological. They're very um, lofty. It's a lot about what Jesus has done for us in the heavenlies and and about his, the way he's opened access for us to God, to our holy God. And um, I think many of us, if we're honest, that's not something, and to say it out loud sounds terrible, but I think it's honest. For many of us, that kind of stuff isn't always something that is immediately um, important to us. I think often we are dealing with very specific and real struggles that are tangible and they're in our face and they're loud. And then to come to church and to hear me say, well, yeah, all that, but look way up there. Isn't that neat? I think sometimes it's hard for us to connect with the things way up there about what Jesus has done for us with God when we're dealing with things down here that are so pressing. And I just want us to start honestly there before we read these verses and just want to acknowledge that that's okay. And I understand that, and God understands that. Um, I think maybe we should look at it from maybe a different angle. Um, I, I think of my children and how how urgently they feel about their concerns. You know, the things about you know playing Legos and um, you know their next snack, which seems to be just constant concern to them. You know, they feel very urgent about these concerns that are right in front of them. And I, I think often they don't understand my purposes and the purposes that Meredith and I have. Um, often our purposes are, are a little beyond their understanding. And so what we're trying to accomplish doesn't always seem immediately applicable to them. You know, yesterday they rode with me to run some errands. You know, we had three stops. I was making them as fast as possible. And these errands had to do with me being prepared to officiate a wedding and prepared for, for this morning and, and dealing with some remodeling at the house over there. You know, those are concerns that my children really aren't that engaged in. And they could not understand why they were still in the van. They just couldn't understand it. Why are we doing this? This isn't fun. So why would we be doing it? And, you know, I tried to explain to them and they're, you know, they're good kids. They're, they're very patient about it and no child likes to run around on errands. But I think there's a parallel with how we tend to be with, with God. We're, we are dealing with our stuff and sometimes it seems like God's not down here on his knees playing with us. He's not doing these things that we want him to be engaged in like we want him to be. He's off dealing with some other stuff about Jesus and eternal salvation and opening up the, the temple veil so we have access. And what is he doing? I think maybe we just need to trust him that he knows better what is most important than we do. And as important as our concerns are that we may have walked in here with, maybe God has brought us to this passage because this is really what we need to be thinking about. Okay, that's a uh, long-winded way of introducing this passage, but 
let's have that in mind. Let's think of ourselves as the children trying to understand our, our father and what it is that he's been working on throughout all of human history. So we'll read these first verses together. Hebrews chapter 10, uh, we'll read verses 19 through 21 to begin with. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, And then he's going to go on into some instructions for us. But I want us to see these three verses first. This sort of encapsulates everything God has been trying to teach us over the last several weeks. He's been brick by brick building a a theological foundation for us so that he can give us the invitation that he's about to in the next verses. Okay. Therefore, brothers, we're family. Brothers, sisters, since we have confidence... To enter the holy places, places that God's people never used to be able to enter. But now we can. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus, because of his death for us, because of his payment for our sins. By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is his flesh. And when he died on the cross, he didn't only pay for our sins. He granted us access to God himself. And since we have a great high priest, a great priest over the house of God, we have a great advocate. We have access and we have advocacy through Jesus Christ. Okay, let's stand on on those grand truths. And from those, we'll hear some very practical verses that are about to come after that. But we have to be standing on these truths to be able to accept the invitation we're about to receive. Now, before we read the invitation, I want us to pray together. It's a threefold invitation, not really even a command. Uh, It's very gentle, the passage we're about to, to read. It's not, you better do these three things or else. It's because of what we have in Jesus, let's do these things together. Okay? So I want us to pray and, and I want you to pray for God to enable you to heed this invitation. Okay? Let's pray together. Father, we've spent weeks pondering the theological truths that you've given us in Hebrews. And now we're coming to a break in the theology and we're coming to this invitation that you're making to us. Lord, please make it simple and plain to us and help us to understand what you're inviting us to. And help us to see what the steps look like to respond to the invitation. And all the while, help us to remember that we get to do these things only because of Jesus Christ. So please help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So a threefold invitation for you this morning. The first one's in verse 22. Let us draw near. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us draw near. Okay, so there's the first part of God's invitation to you this morning. And people always wonder, what's God's will for my life? Oh, I don't know. Maybe the clouds will form into the shape of what it is that he wants me to do. 
But it's really not that mystical. It's right here. This is God's will for you. This is what God wants. He wants you and me to draw near to him. He doesn't only want obedience. He doesn't just want you to do what he says. He doesn't only want allegiance like we're uh, in some faraway colony that he established and and he's our king from a distance and, and we're his loyal subjects. He wants nearness with us. He wants closeness with us. He wants relationship with us. That's pretty amazing in of itself, I think. So in your situation, whatever you walked in here with, this is God's will for you in that situation. He wants you to draw near to him. Whatever your circumstances are, this is God's will for you in those circumstances. He has been moving the pieces around the board for all of human history to make it possible for you to draw near to him through Jesus Christ. Some of you might be feeling like, I just have so much to do. Draw near to God. I have so many pressing concerns right now that I have to be focused on. I have to get up and immediately run out in my car and spin the wheels to get to work on time, to work hard all day long. And then I have to do the same thing to get home in time to fix the dinner and get the kids showered and into bed. And then I'm exhausted. I just have to get enough rest to do it again the next day. I don't have time for uh, going up on a hillside like a monk and meditating on God and trying to draw near to him. I get that concern. Um, Jesus encountered that concern a lot in his ministry. Remember when he went to Mary and Martha's house? You know, Mary drew near to Jesus. Martha was busy with all the concerns of the day. That's right, isn't it? Mary drew near, Martha was busy. I always, when I'm up here talking about them, question myself if I got the right ones. Yes, Mary drew near to Jesus. Martha was really busy working hard. The things Martha was working on were the things that made it possible for people to be gathered in the house in the first place. They were important things. They were valid things. And she was so busy and so worried. And she said, Jesus, aren't you going to tell Mary to get up and help me? We've got real work to do here. And Jesus says, you're so worried about so many things, but Mary has chosen the better way. Mary has chosen what's most important. So yes, life is busy. I know you're busy. Everybody's busy. Is anybody not busy? Does anybody feel like Malachi is the only one? Everybody else feels like your schedule is so full and stressful. I understand, and I'm the same way. But let's trust our Father here. In all of our busyness and hurry and stress, meanwhile, we're all down here. Meanwhile, God is moving heaven and earth pretty much literally to make possible for us to draw near to him. And so when he taps us on the shoulder and says, shh, okay, just relax. Just draw near to me. Just come to me. I think we need to accept that invitation. I think we can trust him with all the details of our busy lives. We can draw near to him. How? Well, he doesn't tell us how. In this passage, he doesn't tell us what this looks like practically. And I'm going to give you some of my own ideas. Um, but what he does tell us is how, in the sense of what we are to be like, our, our mindset as we come toward him. He says, let us draw near with a true heart. A true heart in contrast to a simulated heart. 
That word true, he uses several times in the rest of the book of Hebrews to contrast the, the ways of the old covenant, like animal sacrifices. He says those were a simulation, a shadow of the true sacrifice. Okay, so every time he uses this word true in Hebrews, he doesn't mean as opposed to deceptive. He means as opposed to uh, simulation. So what he's saying is, draw near to me with your true you. Like without simulation, without uh, pretense, without editing. True you, unfiltered you, actual you. You know, it might be that your Facebook feed gets a version of you, but God wants true you. It might be that your Instagram only shows versions of your life, but God wants true you. With all your blemishes, all your mess, all your confusion, honest, real, true you. Maybe your coworkers or your families or we at church get a version of you. Have you ever gone home after being with people and just felt tired from being on? That's a phrase we use. I just can't be on anymore. Well, what we mean by being on is we're projecting a version of us. And I'm not saying that's evil. You know, we're trying to be conscientious and polite and personable, even though maybe if we're honest, we don't feel like being conscientious or polite or personable. Uh, I'm finding out more and more that I'm an introvert and I love people but I also love to get away from people (laughs) and I love quiet. God doesn't want versions of you. He doesn't want you to act pious and holy when you come to him. He just wants you, which is really astounding. He wants us, the real us. We won't even give each other the real us, but God knows the real us and that's what he wants. Okay, so he wants us to draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith. So he wants us to come truly and honestly and naked and vulnerably, just really us. And he wants us to come in full assurance of faith, which, which means all in belief in who he is and his promises for us in Jesus Christ. He wants us to just commit. He wants us to just believe fully. The same way, and I know I use this illustration every time, I can't think of a better one. The same way you sat in your pew with full assurance of faith, he wants us to come to him. When you sat down in your pew, I didn't see any of you crawling around your hands and knees and checking to make sure all the bolts were tight and all the wood was sturdy. You saw it, you fully put your weight into it. That's what he wants. That's what he wants. He wants us to just fully put our weight into his promises through Jesus Christ. So draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And I think that last part is clarifying what he means by full assurance of faith. Rest assured that when you come to God, he sees you as someone who is sprinkled clean. He sees you as as one whose body is washed with pure water. In Jesus Christ, we're clean, we're washed, we're pure. So we can draw near to God. So that's the first part of the, the invitation. Now I want you to consider, how close are you to God? This is the opposite of drifting. Have you drifted away or are you walking close to God now? 
He goes on in verse 23, the second part of the invitation. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. So draw near and hold fast. You know, Christianity is so much about what we hold on to and what we let go of. Much of our faith is about letting go of things. And we're told in scripture, let go of your path and your plan and trust God. Let go of your bitterness and your grudge against those who did indeed sin against you and forgive. Let go of whatever's behind you and press on. Let go of your anxieties and pray. Let go of earthly treasures and instead lay up heavenly treasures. Let go of concern about food and clothes and life itself and instead seek the kingdom of God. A lot about our faith is about just letting things go. But here is one thing that we're supposed to grip tightly onto. Our confession. I was trying to visualize this, I think best in visuals. And I think life in this world is sort of like life amidst the rubble of a shipwreck. Okay, so picture yourself, you're floating in an ocean after a shipwreck, and there's the debris of the shipwreck all around you, and you're clinging to what you can to stay afloat. A scrap of wood, uh, part of the wheel. What's that called on a ship? Helm? Okay, i got to do my research before I launch into ship metaphors. You're grabbing onto what you can to stay afloat. You know, you're there for hours, maybe you're there for days. Floating amidst the rubble, and you've got your, your scraps that you're hanging on to to stay afloat, to, to live. And then all of a sudden, here comes a, a Coast Guard chopper, and they throw down a lifeline to you. And they say, let go of all that stuff and grab a hold of this. Hold fast to this. Now, it can be hard in our delirium in this world to see that this is where life is, that this is where salvation is, that this is where access to God is, that this is where... Everything we need is. And it can be scary to let go of the rubble that we're hanging on to. It might be good rubble. It might be something that you packed for the journey and you really love. It might be your family photo album and it's floating and you're hanging on. But you've got to let go and hang tight on to our confession. Everything else will one day slip away. Everything else will be gone one day. So hold fast. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. The confession of our hope is basically just all those things we believe about Jesus Christ. All those things are so easy to drift away from in the, the grind of daily life. That's what we need to hold on to the tightest. Why? For he who promised is faithful. The promises we have in Jesus are sure promises. They're firm. They hold up. You know, specifically the promises we have about our access to the Father and forgiveness of sins and cleansing. But by extension, all the promises of Scripture are sure and firm. All those great promises like, um, he who did not spare his son for you. Oh, I'm going to mangle it. Basically, what would he spare? What would he hold back if he gave you Jesus? There's no good thing he won't give to you. That's true. You know it's true. Uh, promise right next to that, that all things work together for those who love God and who are called according to his purposes. That promise is firm and true and sure. He who promises faithful. 
So how tight is your grip on your confession? In your daily life, does it ever come to mind? Hold fast. Let us hold fast to our confession. And finally, verse 24, the last part of our invitation. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Let us consider. Let us draw near, let us hold fast, and let us consider. This word consider is a very intensive word. It means to really think. It's the kind of thinking you do when you have to buy a birthday gift for someone you care about or an anniversary gift for your spouse. Ideally, you would put a lot of thought into these things. This is the kind of thought we're supposed to put in toward one another. Consider how to stir one another. That word stir really could be translated jab. It's a painful word. Let us consider how to jab one another, how to make an impact on one another and get one another moving to love and good works. So the question here is, what is your influence on the people around you? Because the way it's supposed to work is we believe in Jesus so deeply and so firmly that it, it produces results in our life. It produces a direction in our lives. We're moving toward God. We're drawing near. It produces a strength in our life. We're holding fast to the confession of our hope. And it produces an effect on the people around us. We're jabbing people. Because of you, the people around you should be more loving and harder workers in terms of good deeds. That's the way the Christian church is supposed to work. It shouldn't always be me up there trying to, like a cattle driver, make the church do good stuff. We should have that influence on each other. And what I find fascinating about this is his application of this truth in verse 25. So he says in 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. See, the gospel turns us outward, not inward. And we are to consider one another, not just ourselves. And the first application that the Holy Spirit gave to the writer is to not neglect meeting together. To go to church, basically. You know, when, when we fall out of fellowship for long periods of time, it indicates that we're not considering one another. I think often we think about church from a selfish standpoint. I just didn't get anything out of that message. I just don't get anything out of that style of music. I just don't get anything out of those people. Nobody even came up and shook my hand. I, 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 me, 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 I, I, I. But the way church works is it's people turned inside out by the gospel thinking you, 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 him, 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 her, 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 she, 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 he, he, he. <laughs> The motivation to come to church isn't because Pastor Matt lays on the guilt trip. It's because we love one another. And when we neglect to meet together, it doesn't just hurt us. It hurts all of us. I mean, we really need each other. We really do. And you might not feel like that you are needed. Maybe you keep a low profile. But I can assure you, you are needed. You are needed in a thousand little subtle ways that may be even invisible. Even just you being here is encouraging. 
And even just you not being here is discouraging. We have a profound effect on one another. And it's not that we ought to have a profound effect on one another. It's that we do have a profound effect on one another. Your spiritual temperature affects the spiritual temperatures of everyone around you. And note that it's a habit. It says, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. Neglecting one another, especially in the form of neglecting to stay within the fellowship with one another, it becomes a habit, doesn't it? Has anybody experienced it? Have one late night on a Saturday, sleep in on a Sunday, let's do house church this Sunday. I just can't get it together to go. There's one. Next week, a little bit easier to sleep in on that Sunday. Remember how good that felt? We had time to sit there with our coffee. Let's just, one more. Next Sunday rolls around. Well, now it would just be weird to walk in. Everybody's going to be like, where have you been? And we don't have any good reason that we haven't been here. So let's just stay out again. Five Sundays, six Sundays, a month, a year, a lifetime. It just happens so fast. And it's just a habit. If nobody sits at home twisting their handlebar mustache thinking, how can I, how can I take down a church? It slips up as a comfortable habit. Okay, but as comfortable as the habit is, know that it is destructive. And not just for your spiritual well-being, but for the spiritual well-being of the people around you, your brothers, your sisters. We need each other. And it's good. It's good the way we interrelate. So don't hear in that guilt trip. Of course, you're all here, so you're probably all feeling pretty good. You're thinking about those people who aren't here today. Don't read into that condemnation for the people that are not here. You know, this week is them. Next week it's you. If I, you know, if I didn't have very visible responsibilities, it would probably be me. It's, it's easy in our culture. It's, it's easy in our culture to drift away from our confession in Jesus Christ and to forget how vital that is to our everyday life. It's so easy. And then once we do, it's easy to stop drawing near to God and to just live our lives like we don't need them. And as we do that, it's easy to let go of our confession and just drift away completely and start to hang tight on everything else. And as we do, it's easy to neglect meeting together and fellowshipping together. It's also very easy, but it's also very dangerous. So don't leave here considering one another to condemn those who aren't here. Leave here considering one another how we can stir each other up to love and good deeds and good works. Let's draw near to God because we can. You know how many people are out there living in isolation, disconnected from the God of the universe, which means they're disconnected from true love, grace, mercy, purpose, life. We don't have to live that way. We don't have to live life clinging to, to the shipwreck. We have our confession of hope. We don't have to live life isolated from one another. We have a glorious calling to consider one another. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. So let's accept that invitation together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your graciousness toward us through Jesus Christ. Thank you that when we look in your eyes, we don't see condemnation. We see a father who loves us. Lord, above all, help us to remember that we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us 
through the curtain. That is, through his flesh. Help us to remember that we have a great priest over the house of God. Help us to draw near to you. Help us to hold fast to our confession. Help us to consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. In Jesus' name, amen.